And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman for our second episode of the week. We're going to be doing two episodes a week from now through the 2023 college football season. Uh, Bruce, Monday we made we turned into Big Ten Day. Today we're going to go ACC uh, with Manny Navarro, our great Miami and all of the ACC writer. We're also going to get to your emails in a little bit, but first... Tuesday was a really big day on The Athletic, and for you, your annual much-anticipated freaks list came out, and I've got a lot of questions. You have named a true freshman who hasn't yet played college football as the number one freak athlete in the country, and that's Nick Harbour, the South Carolina wide receiver. I remember what a big deal it was when he committed to South Carolina. Um, You have a clip in here of him running track that has to be seen to be believed. Describe what makes him so unique. Well. He is in that clip. It looks like he's running with toddlers, and these and these are these are high school kids who are legit big time sprinters. Um, but he is head and shoulders the kid who's given him the best competition. He is literally like head and shoulders taller than. I mean, he is he's a six huge five two forty three running track. Ran, he ran a ten to ten to two hundred meters, which is blazing fast, and so. I saw him in person last year. He took his unofficial, he took his official visit to, to Michigan the week they played Maryland. And I remember talking to Mike Loxley, they were, both schools were recruiting him. And I looked and he, and seeing him, he looked like a power forward. I could not believe how big he was in person. And to put into context, and I was like on the fence, I was like, yeah, I got to have Nicholas Harbor in my top five. Just, the measurables are insane. And he's up to 243 pounds. You know, the, the coaches I talked to at South Carolina, Shane Beamer, you know, a couple of days ago were, were very effusive about what they've seen, not just his speed, which they knew about or his size, but they said he's a really tough kid. And sometimes track kids with that, that elite track background, may not, you wonder about that. But then there's a guy on the, on the South Carolina staff, Jody Wright, who had spent you know, almost a decade or half of a decade at Alabama. And he's got a great perspective on this. He's the tight ends coach for the Gamecocks, but we were talking about it. And Julio Jones was a supersized receiver, but he wasn't close to this big. Julio Jones was like 6'3", 220. Um, And then they had obviously Derrick Henry, who won a Heisman, who was an enormous running back. And this guy's bigger than both. He's a lot bigger than Julio. And when they were coming out of high school, they were track guys and they ran a full second slower than he did in the hundred. A full second is a, is a wide, wide margin. I mean, 11, one is not a bad time for guys that big. And for him to run 10, 10.22 is, is just remarkable. So I don't want to say he was an easy choice because there was, there was a couple other guys. I had Marvin Harrison, junior number two, 
his numbers are are amazing. Um, but then there was another guy at number three who just and people can read the story if they haven't yet and see just kind of like when it starts to sink in about how special some of these athletes really are. So another thing that stood out to me, and we talked about it a little bit on the Big Ten episode we did the other day about how Penn State is shaping up to have a pretty special roster. And, and we you know talked about whether they can dethrone the Ohio State-Michigan group at the top. Uh, to To reinforce that point, there are six Penn State guys, not just on the top 101, as you have in here, top 50, including Chop Robinson in the top 10. How did Penn State accumulate so many freak athletes? I think it's a, you know, Franklin and his staff have recruited really, really well. They have an eye for it. But even some of these guys, you know, Olu, their star left tackle, a lot of people think is the, you know, is the best offensive lineman in the country. I mean, he is, he is everything the NFL looks for. 6'6", He was a three-star guy at a high school, you know, and now he runs four, you know, in the high four nines in the 40. I mean, it's remarkable to be that big and that athletic. Um, and so there's a collection of the guys who are the high-level, high, high recruits that they got. You know, certainly Nick Singleton, who's compared to Adrian Peterson. I mean, that's just not a guy a lot of people get compared to realistically, and he is. Um, what was amazing to me about this group and I like I've said this before, and I've written this in, with freaks list is people a lot of times will will scoff at some of the numbers that that are in this story and in these stories. And then and it's tr- most true with Penn State, all these guys from Saquon Barkley to Mike Gesicki to oh, Jason O.A. to Micah Parsons, they go to the NFL draft process and they match those numbers or sometimes they even exceed them. So. Um, so I didn't want to have that many guys, but I'm like, man, I can't leave out Abdul Carter, you know, as I can't leave out this guy. And as it was, Stu, I mean, there's probably three other guys, you know, Curtis Jacobs, you know, beaming the defensive tackle. Keandre is a blazing fast receiver who I probably also, you know, if they played at a different school, they'd probably be on this list. All right. I want to give people a little, give you a chance to give people a little window into the selection criteria and just what 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 distinguishes the freaks list, for example, from an all-American list. And the reason I ask that is I think when we talk about this current state of college football, everybody would agree, okay, the two teams that are putting out the most NFL players, the most like loaded with talent, obviously Georgia, the two-time national champs, who seem to just have an assembly line of insane defensive players in particular. And then for many, many years, Alabama. Georgia has two guys on this list, and they're both offensive players, actually, including everybody knows uh, Brock Bowers, obviously, but also Branson Robinson, who we're expecting to break out at running back this year. And only one Alabama player on the whole list, Chris Braswell. So does that mean Alabama doesn't have the kind of athletes they used to, that Georgia has lost too many guys in the NFL draft, or it just isn't? relevant for what you're trying to do no because i think you know like george has been pretty well represented on this in the past and certainly i had you know evan neal was number one and chris braswell's number seven on here it's not like they're at the bottom of the list but um you know there's certain certain measurables that are i think probably maybe more significant to this you know when i send out initially 
um, to a lot of schools for for responses. You know, there's some smaller schools who will like tell me about what like this linebacker had this many tackles or this many TFLs. I'm like, that's great, but that's exactly I'm not doing like an, a, a watch list right you know, kind of thing. And so, um, so that's kind of some of what you know when I talked to Georgia at first. You know, Branson Robinson is super strong. He's a 220 pound running back who bench presses 470 pounds, but he also broad jumps 10, seven. I mean, those are, those are, especially the bench number for a running back is, is mind blowing. But when I went to, you know, I asked about, went back on Brock Bowers you know, Brock Bowers is, is a fast tight end. Now he's not a huge tight end, obviously, but he does vertical jump 36 inches. Those are, those are good numbers. I mean, I think it's, you know, there's certain schools who have guys who are, who seem to really respond to it where it's like, okay, this doesn't, you know, Iowa has had some guys where they weren't high level recruits, but they develop in a certain way. And maybe it's a strength and conditioning program. I think certainly Michigan has done a really good job with that. Obviously we talked about both them and Penn state with this. And, um, so again, it's not an exact science. I mean, one thing that's been really cool about this about freaks list over the years was just how much the the nfl scouts have come to value what we put together and i think that um a lot of times it's the stuff where okay there's an element of discovery here right and i think there's a there's a lot of guys who you know they're close and then it's like all right well let's see what let's see what the different numbers are for them my, my last thing for you before we start talking some acc football as you've been doing, you've been doing this for a long time. And I'm wondering, like when you first started doing it, probably you relied mostly on conventional measurables. We think of 40 times squats, bench press, but this stuff gets more and more. Um, I feel like they keep inventing more and more measurables with the year. There's one on here. I don't even know what it means. One of the players Nord board force production score was 821.5 N of force. I don't need you to go explain that, but I'm just Let's wondering just it's like much higher than Ari's. <laughs> how different is the how much more um measurables do you have at your disposal than when you first started doing this? A ton because I you know, one of the things I thought you were gonna say was there's a lot explain of explain Nordboard force. No, you don't need to do that. There's there's a lot of mile per hour GPS catapult data that people collect and I think because of that in the last like eight years and now it's become, you know, increasingly a, more of a metric that um, is something that schools use. I think also, you know, people will take there are um, vertical jump pads, which you can, you know, if you wanted to do it at home, you could probably buy one for eight hundred dollars and you'll see a reading. It's not the Vertimax where you're jumping and touching the top. It's probably a little, a little more, I don't want to call it a dubious rating, but it's one where it's basically calculating how much time you, you're up and down. I'm not saying you can't, can't, you can cheat it or whatever, but when you see like, oh, he vertical jumped 38.2 or, you know, it's, it's, it's a little different than, you know, that measuring it, it in inches, I think. But then the shuttle times, which are, you know, whether it's the three cone or the short shuttle, I think people now know that be, are more familiar with what's a really, really good time because of the NFL combine, because they've seen it. I mean, one thing I, w I was really happy with, with this year on the freaks list was 
there was a couple of times, especially one, Amarian Walker, who's a 6'3 young cornerback at Michigan, his three-cone drill would not only crush what the fastest time Jackson Smith and Jigba posted at the Combine this past year, it would Jeff Mayo, the old Oregon receiver, has the combine record. It's like six four two. This kid's number beat it by a, a lot, and you can actually see the video of it. People can look at you know everything. It's like it's not you know. There's a bunch of stuff we have video of to kind of back up some of these things, and all that stuff, Stu, like were things that I never anticipated. You know, back when I first started doing this. Now I still get some stuff where. Like one of the coaches sent me pictures of like, he's got a linebacker or an edge rusher who's got like 7% body fat. And he was like, man, if I look like this and he sent me the picture, he goes, I would never take my shirt off. I'd coach games like this, you know, or it's, <laughs> it's just like, and you'd look at him, you're like, okay, I don't, I don't know if there's a Nordberg thing at that Sunbelt school, but you would say, okay, that guy's definitely a freak. So we talked about a really, really fast guy, but obviously not every, you know, you got a lot of different positions and in particular some really big dudes on the line so for instance how do you compare nicholas harbour to your number three guy kingsley sumataya from byu this guy's a 6'6 325 pound offensive lineman i would assume the measurables on him are a lot different than the measurables on a receiver like how do you decide which one is more of a freak yeah it's look it's Stu. it's very arbitrary i mean kingsley's numbers when i you know, it, it he, he kind of flashed up from being a guy to maybe, oh, I might have to have him as the number one guy when Aaron, uh, Aaron Roderick, the OC there, is like telling me he's the most athletic, violent offensive lineman I ever coached. And when he said he's more athletic than Blake Freeland, Blake Freeland lit up the combine last year. I mean, vertical jump 37 inches. But to find out Kingsley at six six three and a quarter and that he, when they're, when they're, sports science guy said he's faster than our linebackers and he ran 21 five miles per hour i was like wow it's it's arbitrary to say he's not the number one guy over harbor maybe he should have been you know and then but the the randomness of it you, you know mario cristobal recruited him to oregon before he transferred to byu he has a freshman francis maui goa five-star guy six six three forty one and so i'm asking about it and he was like and his quote was greatest muscle density in miami history which is like such a, you know, like that's a freaks list kind of thing. But then you kind of get into what makes him special. And that's why he ended up as the number five guy on this list. Just you can read about what's it's not like the broad jump. It's not like, you know, some of the old school measurables. It's like kind of all of it. Right. Well, we encourage everybody to go on the athletic, read the freaks list. It's one of the most read stories the athletic college football publishes all year. We are going to turn our attention from the weight room to the field. Uh, Monday, we did Big Ten Day uh, and had Cameron Teague Robinson, our house state writer, on. Today's ACC Day, and we are really excited to have on our guest, Manny Navarro, all, knows all things Miami, but of course, also the ACC for The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? 
Extreme Direct TV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECT-TV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Manny, thanks for joining us today on The Audible. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, Manny, I want to, you know, we touched on Miami a little bit a bit ago on Freaks List stuff, but I do want to get into the Hurricanes' rough first year for Mario Cristobal. Um, no way around it, but he did get some big-time recruits in there, especially on the O-line. You're around this program every day. Some staff changes, everything. A bunch of transfers come in. What do you see from the freshmen, but also how good do you think this team can be and how much of a bounce back are we talking about here? Yeah, I think Miami fans are like enthusiastic in the sense that they think, okay, this is we're going to win eight or nine games this year and, and be much more competitive. I don't know that they're necessarily going to get to eight or nine wins because I still don't think they have the talent on at receiver or necessarily at cornerback. I think those are two areas where Mario still has work to do in terms of getting these guys back to sort of an elite level. Um, but certainly up front, uh, you mentioned the offensive line, Francis Maui Goa, of course, who made your, your freaks list at number five. Uh, he is, uh, I mean, at 6'6", 341, uh, just incredibly large human being who scares you. When you, when you just watch him in practice, you're thinking, who is he going to hurt today? Um, so uh, they have that across the board on the offensive line. Um, getting Matt Lee at center from UCF, I think, was probably the most important move that Mario made. Uh, when you think back to why Tyler Van Dyke got hurt last season, um, he had much smaller people blocking for him than he does now. And he didn't have an experienced uh you know, sort of elite center calling out blitz, uh, you know, blitz pickup and things of that nature. So I think on the offensive line, they're going to look like the real deal. Javion Cohen was an all SEC second team selection to Alabama last year. He's going to look great at left guard. Um, so I, I expect them to be able to run the football better to protect Tyler better, but I still see holes on this team. And anybody who thinks Miami is ready to take off in year two of the Mario Cristobal era is mistaken. And it seems like, the biggest change he made was basically taking a mulligan on his original coaching staff. You don't usually see uh, a coach, you know, either through attrition or, or firings, you know, seven new assistant coaches by the second season. So I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that if you believe this is going to be a big season for them, you're basically saying, I think he got his staff right this time. Yeah, and it's and it's funny, but you know, uh, Bruce and I have talked about this off air. He's essentially gone back to Manny Diaz's schemes on offense and defense. Because you look at what Manny Diaz did his last year in twenty one, uh, he had Rhett Lashley running a spread offense, uh, and his defense was sort of attacking the same way Lance Gidry does, where they're bringing pressure and blitz from all over the place. So Mario came in with this idea, I think, of we're going to come in here and just run the football and play sort of this Michigan style offense with Josh Gaddis 
oh, by the way, I don't have the personnel to do it. <laughs> and so it's sort of those uh, come to Jesus moments in the offseason. Okay, this was a big mistake. Let's go back to what worked here or what was working and as I sort of tinker with the roster and, and, and recruit guys to play the kind of scheme I really want. So I think uh, part of it was uh, the failures last year where uh, you know guys like Gaddis, I think, were used to coaching better players, having better players to work with. I think at times um, – he was a little volatile in the receiver room. And I don't know that the relationship necessarily between him and Frank Ponce was that great. Frank Ponce was his quarterback's coach. He's working with Tyler Van Dyke. Uh, so just dysfunction all over the place. Hit the reset button and uh, they should be better. But I still don't think, you know, they have the playmakers at receiver and maybe even at tight end to to be the kind of explosive offense you need to be in today's age to, you know, win top 25 games. Can we, Manny? While we got you, I do, you've done some reporting on this, and this is a this is a story with John Ruiz, and it got it certainly got a lot of attention. Maybe last month, and I know you reported on it for the Athletic. I'm curious, how involved is he for people who haven't who maybe didn't read your story or haven't read it yet? How involved is he right now? What is going on with that? And in terms of Miami's recruiting. You know, we know that Billy Napier had a, also had a really, really rough year, but Florida right now is recruiting really, really well. They've had a lot of missteps If we all reported on, you know, what happened with Florida's NIL last year and it was a debacle. Um, but where are, where is Miami right now with all of that? Before you answer Manny, Bruce, I think to be clear, when you say got a lot of attention last month, you're referring to the fact <laughs> that the feds are investigating well, yes. John Ruiz's business that we that I've always suspected was kind of a sham. What I was trying to dance around on was <laughs> the Miami Herald reporting story, and I didn't know. You know, Manny had reported on it too. That's how I yeah. kind of worked. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, it, it's never good when the guy who's been paying the bills in NIL from the get go uh, is getting investigated by the feds. That that obviously sucks for Miami, and who knows what those investigations will turn out here uh, as those, those, those facts come to light. But uh, I did reach out to somebody very high in Miami's administration who's very much familiar with the NIL dealings now that the state of Florida has changed its laws, uh, allowing uh, the university to be much more involved in that process, uh, who told me that uh, had this happened to Miami, perhaps during the middle of its final four run in basketball, or during the football season last year, they, quote, would have been screwed. Uh, I think they're in a different boat now since they sort of launched their own uh, collective, the Canes Connection. And uh, from what I was told, 80% of the NIL deals now go through Canes Connection. Only 20% are still uh, through John Ruiz. That said, uh, Bruce, uh, as you've mentioned, Miami's recruiting has not been at the same level as Florida or Florida State, who are both in the top five right now in the in the two four seven ranking. So, uh, some people are saying, well, maybe there's just not enough NIL money to go around anymore. I just think a lot of the the players Miami's after are sort of waiting to see can Mario get this thing right after such a disastrous season last year. Obviously, the money's important, but uh, I, I do believe that the people in Miami's administration have told me that uh, the money has changed. There are more donors uh, and people involved who just aren't like John Ruiz who go on Twitter and share everything that they do. Yeah, I think most <laughs> most NIL collectives and boosters and whatnot are, are pretty low-key. He was the first one to just kind of go out and advertise uh, how much money he was pouring into it. So, 
On the field, you and Grace Rayner did your ACC preview where you separated the teams into tiers uh, of how you think they're going to do this season. Tier one, not surprising, Clemson and Florida State. They're both preseason top 10 teams. And I kind of go back and forth on both of them. Florida State, I look at and I see a team that really broke through last year, has a great quarterback in Jordan Travis, you know, studs on defense like Jared Verse. And then I have to remind myself, you know, they haven't actually like beaten elite teams yet. We're, if, if we're thinking yeah. uh, this this team is going to break through and maybe go to the playoff, as you point out in the story, so far they are one in six against ranked teams under Norvell. And then Clemson, um, you know, I do think they they you know Dabo made a good move going outside the family for his new OC Garrett Riley. I watched their spring game and I'm just like, you know, I don't see them bursting with elite talent on offense like they used to for so many years when they were winning national championships. Defense does seem really good. So are you fully in on those two teams? Is there one you think might be getting too much hype? Um, I think they both have a chance, certainly, of making the playoff. And that's why we kind of separated them and, and put them into tier one. I think it's pretty clear that they're in another class compared to everybody else. But you're right. I mean, there's still huge questions with both of those teams. One, uh, you know, I drove up to Tallahassee last year during Miami's bye week to watch them play Wake Forest when they were still unbeaten at that time. And to see Sam Hartman and Wake Forest sort of pick them apart as easily as they did. And then Florida State, of course, went on to lose to. NC State, I think, the following week, and then Clemson, uh, it kind of put everything back into perspective of, okay, they're still not there yet. Um, This Florida State team, though, is so much older, and they've got one of the oldest rosters in college football. You've got a quarterback in in Jordan Travis who can do it both with his legs and his arms. Uh, I I think this is a team that is sort of, maybe it's a one-year deal where they can make a push and get there. Uh, this isn't sort of like a sustainable model yet. I don't think Mike Norvell's built that roster this way. Um, but I, I think they have a chance. I, I, I would give Florida State a better chance. You're right about Clemson, though. I think receiver is still a huge question mark for them. Uh, and that's a position they've been really special at in the past. So to me, I think both of them have a shot to get there, uh, to reach the playoff. I, I, I did the oddly specific predictions for us. Um, and I predicted both would not make the playoff. So if you're asking me, do I think they will? No. Do they have a chance? Absolutely. So one of the guys who, I mean, he has a ton of hype around him because a lot of people think he will maybe even the first pick in the draft, but probably the second pick overall, and that's Drake May at North Carolina. New offensive system that mm-hmm. they are going to run in there for Mac Brown with Chip Lindsey coming in to take over from Phil Longo, who went to Wisconsin. Um, I know Stu has not been the biggest believer in Mac Brown at North Carolina. Um, I'm not convinced that they can be a top 10, top 15 team. I feel like they may take a little step back. They were really bad on defense last year. Yeah. Um, I would ask you this. I mean, and both you guys on this. After we get past Florida State and Clemson, who do we think is the third best team in the ACC? We know North Carolina is Drake May. There's a lot of other question marks around there. So who do you guys, if you had to pick a third team, who would it be? I I would personally go with Pittsburgh, and I know that they don't necessarily, I mean, they lost a lot of guys to the NFL. But Pat Narduzzi, for whatever reason, uh, 
he, he grooms guys, has them waiting in the wings, and somebody always emerges on that defensive line. We saw it with Kalijah Kansi last year. Um, Phil Jerkovich, I know, didn't perform well at Boston College his last season, um, but he that, that team was so decimated on the offensive line. I don't really put it on Jerkovich as much as I do just the circumstances. I Look, he's, he's a fifth or sixth-year quarterback. He'll, I think he'll come in and do a good job with Frank Signetti. So I, I have Pittsburgh as the third best team. Still, you know, Pittsburgh fans are always getting on me for not giving Pat Narduzzi more credit. I actually do think that's a really good program he's got going there. Um, I'm not ready to give up on UNC just yet, just because I do think Drake May and that offense will be special. But you're absolutely right about not. Um, they were terrible on defense, and I don't know what the answer is there. I would say dark horse wise, though, the team that I've been uh, increasingly buying in on is Louisville. I don't think they were as bad as their record the last couple of years. Um, now, obviously, Malik Cunningham was a big part of that success, but we know how good an offensive coach Jeff Brom is. He's getting, he's bringing in Jack Plummer, quarterback he's very familiar with. And I wonder if they might sneak up. I don't know if I would say, oh, they're definitely going to finish ahead of UNC and Pitt, but I wonder if they could sneak into that tier. I think they got a legitimate shot, 25 transfers on that roster. Uh, the big question for me with Louisville guys is just they had so many good pass rushers that left for the for the NFL last year, Bruce. I mean, 32 of the team's sacks, 50 sacks last year are gone. That's tough to replace. It is. I mean, I'm going to agree with Manny on Pitt. Um, Jerkovic has ability. I think it's – I think, it, you know, I, there was a lot of stuff crumbling around him when he was banged up as well. The other thing is, and you met, you're right about the D-line – Charlie Partridge might be the best D-line coach in the country, and he's a guy I think Manny knows well from because he is a South Florida guy. And you mentioned Kalaja Kansi. He's got a lot of really good players out of down there, but he's really good at developing D-line, and I think Narduzzi is a really good is a really good defensive coach. They got some speed. They the thing about them, not just D-line, I feel like they always. You know, have so last year is Izzy Abanaconda, who was like explosive running back. We well, now he's with the Jets and he's already turning heads. And I feel like they just have guys who are a little under the radar and they keep emerging. And so I like that pick as probably the third best team in there. Um, I'm curious, you know, on the Miami side of it, you know, I've heard good buzz about AJ Allen, who is a transfer mm -hmm. running back from Nebraska. I think he has turned a lot of people's heads. Now it's practice. It's not games, but you know, Manny and I've talked about this a lot. I, I was so underwhelmed with their skill talent last year. I couldn't believe like Manny and I were out there. It might've been the first padded practice. And I was just like, holy cow. They are, they were like awful at the skill, but like the receivers were just, not good. There were running backs. What they had was banged up. They just had nothing. Yeah, you know, I couldn't believe that was Miami. Now they had other, you know, like there were some good D linemen. I felt like, you know, there was some some talent in some other places, but and there were some bodies there that were like, okay, I'm curious what this guy's going to look like in two or three years, right? There was like, you know, young tight end who, like, okay, this guy's probably going to be six five, two fifty in two years, but right now he's two fifteen. They're not ready to go. So I don't know. I'm not, I was not one to believe that Tyler Van Dyke was first round quarterback guy, even when, when, you know, Manny, Manny um, Diaz was there and they were, they did some good things with Rhett Lashley on offense. But I mean, I, I'm hesitant to think they could be in the mix for the third team, third spot, just because they were 
you know, that Florida State game was so bad, you know, and um, yeah. uh, Florida I, State uh, game. What about the Middle Tennessee game? Yeah, Middle Tennessee. It was also a lot of busts. I mean, you know, like Kevin Steele. I, I and I know he's Nick Saban knows him well. That they weren't. They shouldn't have been that bad on defense. No, they should have been. Um, you know. Mark Pracker, uh, who I went on ACCPM uh, this week, and he brought it up to me, and I and I completely didn't realize this. He says, you know, I, Miami can't go winless in ACC play uh, again at home. And I thought to myself, holy cow, they really were winless in <laughs> ACC play at home last year. And it didn't hit me. I knew they were terrible, two and five. But to be winless in conference at home, you think about Mario Cristobal, uh, being a part of that 58-game home winning streak, right, the, the record that Miami set. And to be the coach of a in his first year back at his alma mater and to go winless at home in conference, that was I mean, it, it's it, they can't be that bad. And so to, uh, to me, until Miami sort of answers the bell, I, I'm not gonna as as much talent as they might have, Bruce. I can't say they're going to be the, even the fourth best team in the league. Yeah, I I do like the Gidry hire. I think he he's really good on defense. And again. They were second to only North Carolina was worse than them in the ACC on defense last year. Like the offense wasn't good, mm -hmm. but the offense was like middle of the pack. This was dreadful. So, um, anyway, guys, on. I think a dark potential. Well, I say potential dark horse. They snuck up as a dark horse last year. I don't think enough people even noticed that Duke, who after firing David Cutcliffe, who had been there forever, and bringing in a first-time head coach in Mike Elko, I had very very low expectations for last year. They go out and they go nine and four. Uh, nobody saw that coming, I don't think. Riley Leonard established himself as one of the quarterbacks in the country you need to keep an eye on. Do we think last year was a fluke or a sign of things to come that this team um, is going to be in that nine win range again, if not better? Yeah, I mean, I think Duke last year, you, you look at the job Mike Elko did uh, with that team. I mean, on paper, they were supposed to be really, really bad. Uh, I think going into the season, I had them winning four or five games, uh, taking over that program in year one. And, and of course, they, they go into Miami, and I watched them absolutely destroy the Hurricanes. I think Miami turned it over seven times in that game. Duke was, I mean, they, they were great uh, in terms of creating turnovers and winning the turnover battle all season long, which is part of the reason they got to nine wins. I guess the question is, are they going to be able to do that again uh, and, and, and be that, you know, far along in the in the positive when it comes over to turnover margin to help them get there. I don't know that they necessarily will. They've got a really tough schedule. Uh, Clemson, Florida State, Notre Dame, and North Carolina on the schedule uh, among top 25 teams. Uh, I, I think they get to seven wins, maybe eight, uh, but it, repeating nine wins, I think it's just going to be tough because they've got some tough matchups. They do. Um, now, after the Clemson opener, it's Lafayette, Northwestern, at UConn, so it's a good chance to, at worst, probably be three and one before they before Notre Dame comes in there. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's 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 amazing what Elko did in a short amount of time there. Everybody knew he's a really really wizard on defense, but to just hit the ground running like that. And again, Riley Leonard's a guy people think might be a first round pick. So definitely not the quarterback that people were buzzing about going into last year. But he uh, he's earned the hype, no doubt. And, and um, anyway, Manny, we uh, we appreciate all the time you took for us today. Do oh, thanks for having else? me on. 
No, I mean, uh, I, I, I think we hit a lot of the key teams. I don't think we need to bore people talking about Virginia, Virginia Tech, DC. <laughs> Some of the teams you have ranked very far down. Manny, we're going to see each other at the big LSU Florida State game week one. Awesome. Um, where whoever wins will be anointed the, a potential national champion. Whoever loses will be deemed a fraud. So uh, we'll look we'll look forward to that. Absolutely. Look forward to seeing you guys uh, soon, hopefully. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokers Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, it's time for the mailbag. As always, you can send your questions to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Bruce, it's not going to surprise you, but this is a lot of realignment. Uh, It's just like my written mailbag has been. Uh, Scott Go, maybe Scott Goff, but I think Go. Uh, list these teams from most likely to least likely to be for the first to make the playoff in their new conference, Oregon, Oregon State. We don't know what conference Oregon State is going to be in. Washington, Washington State, Utah. This is a tough question. Um, my gut is saying. I have say, my answer. My gut is, was saying to Oregon, but my head is telling me Utah. That's the thing. Uh, Oregon recruits at a level to make the playoff, but Oregon's going to the Big Ten. I know that we think the Big Ten and the SEC going forward will get three, maybe four teams in the playoff. But you could be really good in the Big Ten and not be one of those three or four teams. I think Utah has a chance. You know, the new Big 12 is exciting because there isn't a, a Ohio State type, you know, monster looking over it. It's 16 teams. And a whole bunch of them could emerge as that team. Obviously, TCU did last year. But if you looked at the preseason poll that just came out, uh, Utah was ranked higher than any of the other teams that are going to be in the Big 12 going forward. I mean, I think it's rare that a conference can add a team that is kind of at the top of their game right now. Two straight Pac-12 championships, certainly in contention for a third. Yeah, I agree. Look, if they were in there now, 
I think they would be the, I don't know, I mean, because I guess technically Texas and OU would be in there, but I feel like people were kind of taking a flyer on Texas to make them the preseason Big 12 pick. Um, look, Washington's really good right now, and I think Kalen DeBoer has them positioned to, to be really good. It's just I'm looking at the Big 10, and I see, let's take USC out of it for the time being, but it's just, it's, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, and I feel like Wisconsin's going to be really good. I mean, you know, yeah, they could get four. Are they going to get five? No. No, and like, you know, Wisconsin's one example, but you've got program. Michigan State has been to the playoff. Um, you know, you've got other programs. Iowa has has put itself in that position. Uh, it came very close one year. Like, you've got other programs in there that can be basically what Washington has been. So, now, I figured it out in real time. At first, I was like, how does he want us to answer Oregon State, Washington State? We don't know what the conference they're going to be in. And then I realized where I think he's going with this. If Oregon State and Washington State end up in the Mountain West, and with six highest-ranked conference champs, the Mountain West champs got a really good chance of going, do they actually have the easiest path to a playoff? If you drop, let's just take Oregon State, drop them in the Mountain West, you would think they'd have a pretty good chance to win it right off the bat. You would. And by the way, they were picked to be pretty, you know, what are they, 17th in the poll right now? Like we all mm-hmm. think Jonathan Smith has done a really good job, I would imagine. So I don't know whether it's going to be Aiden Childs running the show. I mean, I guess DJ still could be there, right? So, so now I think I have to re-rank it and say, actually, I think Oregon State has the best chance because if if they were in the Mountain West this year, I would certainly be picking them to win the Mountain West. If Jonathan Smith's still there in two years, I think I'd be picking them to win the Mountain West. Of course, we don't actually know that's where they're going to end up. By the way, when you said I figured it out in real time, I actually thought you emailed Scott Scott back and was like, so how do you pronounce your last name? Because we're going to be butchering it. <laughs> <laughs> no, at first I was confused why he was putting in two teams who we don't know what conference they're going to go into. And then I got, oh, he's trying to ask if, if they actually have the best path because they're not in one of the power, what will now be the power four. All right, Stu, I got a question that is, I feel like, near and dear to your heart. It's from Blake in Little Rock. Bruce and Stu, as an Arkansas fan, should I be concerned that the current trajectory will result in the Razorbacks potentially being dropped from the SEC, whatever form of the conference exists within the next 10 years, as the top SEC programs merge with the top Big Ten programs to form some sort of, in all caps, super conference? As Stu mentioned at the conclusion of the last podcast, we seem to be heading to some form of the Premier League. I just don't know what where that line is drawn. Is it in the top 24, 32, 40? Arkansas remains nationally competitive in ba- basketball and baseball, but it is evident that this does not carry much weight in the eyes of the TV networks. And so since this question was asked, I, on Tuesday... Uh, ran a story uh, on this exact topic. If there ends he up being it from Blake, <laughs> well, I had, I first threw this out there four years ago in a in a story as kind of a like, oh, that you know, wouldn't it be crazy if that happened? And my point was, after what we've seen the last three years, where where these conferences are consolidating and all the top brands are gravitating to one of two conferences, like the idea of the top brands eventually breaking away from their current conference and forming something completely new, like the Premier League, like the Super League that that didn't last. To me, almost, I don't want to say inevitable, but it feels like the logical next step, if that's the direction the TV networks are going. 
So I did it as 28 schools. Arkansas was not one of them, but I don't know if it would end up being less, more. And I would just say that, uh, you know, a lot of it will depend on, let's say this happens in 2032, which is the data I use because it's around when the next set of TV contracts come up. Like it's just going to, Arkansas needs to be really good between now and then. They need to be relevant because I added, you know, I did not have TCU on that list four years ago. I did not have Utah on that list four years ago. Programs that have made themselves relevant enough that I almost feel like any product like this would lose a little credibility. They didn't have them in it. And I feel like Arkansas's right on the fence. Like they've certainly had years where they were in the mix nationally. And then they've had some years where they were really dreadful. So um, it's a very passionate fan base. They play in a big stadium. They have not just football, right? As he mentioned, success in other sports. They, there would be a case to be made, obviously, for them to, to make that cut. We also don't know, like, will it basically just be the entire SEC and the entire Big Ten? I don't think that's necessarily what would be the next logical step for TV networks. It would be to chop off the bottom third or so of those leagues. So all I could say is Arkansas, you know, Sam Pittman, they just need to keep making the case, keep positioning themselves. So if that day comes, they are considered a program that TV networks think will generate big eyeballs. Stu, this question from Jay, what prevents Washington and Oregon and USC and UCLA for that matter from joining the Big Ten for the purposes of football and maybe men's basketball, but leave the rest of the athletic department intact for all of its non-revenue sports? And Jay points out, Johns Hopkins has a deal with the Big Ten for men's lacrosse. Notre Dame has that deal with the Big Ten for ice hockey. Why can't the former Pac-12 schools have the same deal? It's a good question. It's a good question. It's another thing that I think will probably come at some point, frankly, should come. Dana O'Neill and Kyle Tucker did a story like this talking to basketball coaches. They're all like, yes, absolutely. Let football go do its own thing. I mean, it's just so ridiculous that, you know, if Oregon and Washington want to go play in the Big Ten in football, that's fine. It's very minimal travel for that sport. But why do all their other sports have to then go play at Rutgers and Maryland and Nebraska and whatnot? Like, why can't, okay, so there's no longer a Pac-12 football conference, but why can't those schools keep playing each other in all the other sports? I mean, there's no rule against it. Like you said, there are lots of examples of of schools that play one of their sports in a different conference because they're main conference doesn't offer it. I just don't know who's going to make that happen. Like basically there's no commissioner. There's no like central organization to make that happen. It would basically just all of these different conferences with different priorities and different TV deals would have to come together and basically say like, Hey, let's, what do you, what do you say? We unwind this a little bit. And I just, I don't know how that comes together. Can I read you the Pac-12 standings in a sport this past year? You tell me the first two are going to sound like, oh, that makes sense. Oregon State won a Pac-12 title in this sport. Stanford came in second. Third was Cal Poly. Wait, they're not in the Pac-12. Fourth (laughs) was Arizona State. Fifth was Little Rock. And sixth was that Pac-12 powerhouse, Cal State Bakersfield. Can you guess the sport? You threw Little Rock at me once before, so I should know what it is. Is it? I think I threw Little Rock at you because that's where Blake's from. That's oh. why you said that's why you have Little Rock. For no, I feel like this came up before that the Arkansas it Little Rock is in the Pac-12 and something. Is it like beach volleyball? It is not. I will give you a better hint. 
Does the name Ryan Bader mean anything to you? Wrestling. There you go. Wow. I did not expect you to pull a, a, some UFC. <laughs> Ryan Bader reference. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Some of these, I know Stanford has a bunch of sports like, like, like um, I don't think the Pac-12 sponsors either one of the men's or women's lacrosse. So they play in the Eastern Conference. Um, I think there's a bunch of SEC schools sure. that play. Look, do you know there's SEC schools that play? You know, I think I've mentioned this on here. Like for our big noon show, well, on Fridays after our our meetings and rehearsal, we will meet with like usually some some non revenue sports teams. And um, I forgot which women's program it was. It might have been a Penn State, but they were talking about who was in their particular. And I was like, wait a minute, how does that work? And they were like, yeah, there's a few other. It was it was something kind of not maybe not as as kind of out there as as Pac-12 wrestling seemed like it was in terms of just all you know random, but it was a, a, a little like this too at the Big Ten. I forgot what let sport me, it was. Let me read to you the AAC women's lacrosse standings last year. James Madison came in first. The Florida Gators, Cincinnati. Wait, women's lacrosse? Women's lacrosse, Florida, plays in the AAC, followed by Cincinnati, East Carolina, Temple, Vanderbilt, Old Dominion. So this already happens. That's what's so stupid. Like this is there is a precedent for this. Why don't we just do it in all of the sports? Uh, but it basically again, like just like the conferences themselves run the college football playoff, and sometimes are and are supposed to like do what's right for the sport as a whole, but usually just stick stick up for themselves. Uh, this would require the ACC. This would require Jim Phillips, Greg Sankey, George Klyovkov if he still has a job. Uh, Brett Yormark sitting at a table and saying, yeah, let's unwind our non-revenue sports and put the schools back where they're supposed to be. And let's all shake on it. We don't need contracts. Let's just we don't need say, We'll look each other in the eyes. I really hope that day comes. I think the, 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 the lengths they're going to, the, the strain they're putting on their non-revenue athletes in many of these cases to, to make more TV money that they're just going to then turn around and spend on more travel for those teams is absurd. I want to end with JT in Pittsburgh. We, I just said it during the ACC, how I get crap sometimes for not giving Pat Narduzzi and Pitt enough respect. And JT points out that this actually came up in our podcast on August 4th. You read a comment from a listener saying that you can't name a program that has elevated itself going from one Power 5 league to another. Pitt was even mentioned, even though the following has occurred. Third most ACC wins since joining in 2013 Won 20 games in the last two years, their most since the 80s. Just had their most players drafted since the 80s and won the Coastal Division twice in the entire conference once. They won a bad Big East once based on a tiebreaker. I really don't understand why we don't get more recognition when it comes to discussions about this. This is a good point. Uh, He's right, Um, A. It's also, you know, Pitt's history is pretty amazing in terms of the, the giants that have come from from that program. And I feel like we've had this conversation a while back where I think it was the term was like the sleeping giant program out there. And I always wondered, it was like, obviously there's, there's a lot of football talent. Now you're, you share a facility with the Steelers and you were in, you know, Steeler country, which is as a kid who grew up a Steeler fan myself, um, that's an expansive brand, but I still feel like, it, there's to me, there's no reason why Pitt can't be a team that could be a, 
a playoff team and a top 15 team year in and year out. Um, I never understood why, because, you know, growing up in this, in the seventies and eighties, like I remember, I remember early on as a kid, the Tony Dorsett teams. And then certainly I remember, you know, Dan Marino's and a bunch in the eighties where they had so many good defensive players and, you know, up through Curtis Martin. So, um, I don't know. I, I feel like I used to ask Wanstat that question a lot too. Like what happened in at times, you know, I think that's some bad leadership in the AD pro AD, you know, situation. I don't think that's the case anymore. They have, you know, a really well-respected leader now. I don't know why, why they're not getting enough credit. Cause as he points out, they've been good. They haven't been great, but they've been very good at times. And I, I'm not sure what the reason is for that. Um, first of all, like everything he said is valid. And I do think that deserve, deserves to be noted. I actually, uh, I remember looking up Pitt as a possible example of this and dismissed it because in their last 10 years in the Big East, they had a 580 winning percentage. And in their first 10 years in the ACC, they've had a 585 winning percentage. So it's not a noticeable uptick, although they have been better in the last couple of years. I think, Bruce, um, we talk about like the lack of common sense and realignment. The Big East falling apart should have, there had to have been a way to avoid that because what you have now is a bunch of teams that I think are in the wrong conference. Syracuse, Pitt, BC, like there should be a, still be a Northeast centric football conference in which they are competitors. And I think you want West Virginia there too. Throw West Virginia in there. Hell get Temple back in there. (laughs) Get UConn back in there. I just, if the ACC ever implodes, I hope those teams will come together and form a conference. Like it wouldn't be the exact same, you know. You'd probably bring you in a Wake Forest in there too, because Miami's not in the Northeast. I guess that depends on if Miami ends up getting, you know, um, absorbed into the Big Ten or SEC, or if they're part of the the ones left behind. But that's the thing. Like the reason, if Pitt had the coach they have now and the recent pipeline of NFL players they have now, they would probably dominate that maybe they would be like what west virginia was was with steve slayton and pat white right now they're in a conference with florida state clemson programs that are always going to have more access to four and five star talent uh more money and all that like you know bc has they were good at first in the acc and then they've really struggled ever since then these teams are in the wrong conference just like i think you know oregon will be saying that in five years oregon and washington are in the wrong conference but the forces of realignment have struck again. All right. Well, as always, send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. The next time we will see you will be game weeks. Stu. are you, um, I'm curious, are you going to be coming to the big San Diego state, Ohio, you game week one? Are you going to be at that game? No, but I'll be in the studio. So I would expect you to be. Oh, is that a, is that a, is that a Fox game? Fox game. So I looked at the I looked at the uh, week zero lineup. Obviously, I'm going to watch Notre Dame Navy. I was a little disappointed that the San Jose State USC game is on Pac-12 Network. If that were on FS1, why didn't you guys get that one? If that were on FS1, I would definitely be watching that. As it is, I do not have Pac-12 Network. But yeah, you're right. It'll be game week, and it'll also be uh, you know we've now we've ticked off the ticked up. We've now checked off the Big Ten and the ACC. We'll do two. We'll focus on two more conferences 
next week. We'll see you next time. How did we get away with the things we used to do?